hey hey people i don't know what that was <laughs> it's been some time hello friends and welcome back to a new season of crime at the family table i'm of course one of your hosts Alyssa, and i'm super excited to be back i'm super excited to welcome y'all back if you're new here thank you for giving us a listen we really hope you stay <laughs> If you are one of our gang gang, one of our loyal listeners, we missed y'all. And we are so grateful that you decided to come back for season four. Can't believe it. So real quick, just some housekeeping, some quick information. Today's episode and the next one will be solo episodes. So today will be my episode. And then next week, Latanya is going to do her solo episode. And then the third is us back together, you know, dynamic duo. Bonnie and Clyde, or okay, Thelma and Louise, <laughs> you know, Ray J and Brandy. I don't know. Um, Miss Latanya so much, and we are definitely excited to get back to recording together. Um, some more information about this season. So, this season is going to be totally different. This season, we're covering decades. I know, hold your excitement, hold your applause. So, today's episode is going to start. Um, everything off as far as decades today's episode is a 90s episode so it took place in 1998 of course i'll give you more information as we start the show um but next week latanya's episode is going to be about the 80s you know 90s and 80s two decades <laughs> i truly love i i really wish that i had grown up in the 80s because it looked like a real good time but the 90s was also lit I definitely am a 90s baby through and through. And I miss it so much. <laughs> if anybody is a 90s baby or even grew up or was an adult in the 90s, like, I'm interested to know your thoughts. Um, if anybody remembers this case, because like I said, it was in 1998. I'm so interested in your thoughts. But yeah, um, don't forget to leave us comments if you want to leave us a rating. Even if, honestly, even if you want to leave us a rating of a one star let us know give us feedback let us know how you like this episode let us know if you like the whole decades thing for this season let us know um what we can improve on whether it be audio or background noise i don't know um but like we always say we are again <laughs> the little podcast that could and we're trucking along and for those of you who have been listening for a while you know, we, we, we doing the best with what we got. <laughs> but we really hope that you continue to enjoy our podcast. Like I said, comment, share, give us a rating, whether it's a one or a five. Hopefully it's a five because we, we really be trying and we're working hard to give you the best that we got. So this season is going to be different. It's going to be super interesting and exciting and without further ado, uh, I do want to give a quick trigger warning. This case contains racially motivated crimes, um, some kind of gruesome details, and violence. So if this isn't an episode that's going to be for you, that's cool. We understand. Take care of you, boo. Take care of your mental health. Click off. Listen to another episode that might be better suited for you. Um... So I want to introduce today's case because I'm going to just jump right in with a question. 
How many times have you accepted a ride from an acquaintance? Whether it be like, oh yeah, that's my coworker, or like me in college. Here's a girl from my class and she sees me walking to Walmart. I put the college in a small town. Walking to Walmart from campus and she's driving and she's like, hey, are you walking back to campus? I'll take you. I'm going back. And I'm like, yeah, sure, Steph. I'm going back to campus too. There were a lot of Stephs. I went to a predominantly white institution, so. There were a lot of steps. I'm not even trying to be funny. Um, But just taking rides from people that you are vaguely familiar with. Um, Unfortunately, this is also the case for James Bird Jr. Who was very well-liked, very known in his town. Um, But I do want to take the time to give like five seconds of silence for him. And just respect his story, respect his life. I want to bring awareness to bring certain things back to the light. And um, I really hope we do this case justice. Thank you for listening. Let's start the show. James Bird Jr. was born on May 2nd, 1949 in Beaumont, Texas and raised in Jasper, Texas. So his parents, Stella and James Bird Sr. had eight children in total. So James was the third oldest of eight siblings. Now in their community in Jasper, Texas, this is East Texas. um, This town was very um, religion centered. So James's mom, Stella was actually a Sunday school teacher and his dad, James Bird Sr., was a deacon at the Greater New Bethel Baptist Church. So, of course, your parents are involved in church. You and your siblings are involved in church. So James would actually uh, be involved by singing. He would play the piano in church. And um, in 1967, he eventually graduated from Jasper Row High School. He was actually a part of the last... um, the last segregated class in the history of the school. So after that, the schools were actually combined and integrated. So his high school, J.H. Rowe High School, was combined with Jasper High School. So he had great grades. He was doing well academically and his parents encouraged him to go to college, just like his two older sisters. But instead, he would get married a few years out of high school in the 70s. And he went on to have two kids. No, three kids. I'm sorry. Renee, Ross, and Jamie. Eventually, he got divorced. Um, He sort of struggled with, like, some alcohol problems. And um, he spent a few years in prison for, like, petty theft, forgery, um, just little, little stupid things. So eventually he would like have work on and off as a vacuum salesman. And, um, (laughs) a lot of, uh, the people that he knew would say, James will come in, you know, just to kick it with you. And by the time he left, you had been sold a $2,000 vacuum. (laughs) I know what you're thinking. $2,000 for a vacuum? What? Back then, really, the only vacuum uh, makers were like, what, Hoover? (laughs) So 
you know, those types of things were a privilege to have. You wore it, like right now you can go in somebody's house and you'll probably see a vacuum. Um, back then those things were like few and far between. Like if you had a vacuum, it was like, okay, you're doing something. So $2,000 for a vacuum was um, not uncommon back then, but I digress. So he eventually, like I said, he got a divorce in 1993, um, and he returned to Jasper in 1996. He got an Alcoholics Anonymous, and he was really trying to change his life. He had grandchildren, and you know he was always described as being somebody who was very charismatic, musically inclined. He was a talented singer. He played piano and trumpet, and he was generally well liked. You know, he was the guy who would be performing at birthday parties or at the cookout or even at funerals, wherever. He was giving you a performance and entertaining you. So uh, his younger sister, I think she's she's the baby of the eight siblings, Louvain, which sounds very French to me. I like it. Louvain. Uh, she he would say that she remembers feeling like a sense of warmth and protection from her brother growing up with him. And she said she learned a lot from him. He loved people, and people generally loved him. But, unfortunately, not everybody saw it for James. Um, But nonetheless, he was still a good person. So on June 7th, 1998, after spending the day with his family, minding his black business, uh, his niece actually was having a bridal shower. So, of course, he spent the day with his family, um, with his grandchildren, just having a good time. He left that party, went to an anniversary party, I believe for his parents, either parents or friends. He went to this anniversary party and then it was like really late in the evening, maybe about 1130. He was like, okay, I'm ready to go. I don't know about you, but when I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. (laughs) So he couldn't find anybody that was leaving at the time that could give him a ride. Um, because I'll mention later on, he didn't drive. Like, he, he didn't drive. He had a seizure disorder, didn't drive. And that was, he was known for just, like, walking around town. Um, so he didn't have anyone to offer him a ride. So he goes out. He stumbles upon Sean Barry and Sean's uh, two friends in the pickup truck and Sean offers him a ride. So just to give you some background information on these three individuals, John William King, uh, Sean Barry, and Russell Brewer, So John was 24, Russell was 32, and Sean was 24 as well. So here's the connection. John and Sean went to high school together. They were friends since high school. John and and Russell Brewer did a prison stint together. So that's how they knew each other. And uh, John and Russell were known to be white supremacists. Um, When John got out of prison, he came back with you know, some, like, racist tattoos. Of course, as you can imagine, probably a swastika. Uh, One of them actually had a tattoo depicting a man, a black man, being lynched. 
uh, so they they were in it, in it. They were associated with the KKK and uh, with the Aryan Brotherhood. If you don't know, the Aryan Brotherhood is honestly I feel like it's usually located in prisons. So in prison for safety reasons, for community purposes, I guess a lot of white men will kind of click up with each other for those reasons. Um, some people go in. <laughs> not racist <laughs> some people for safety reasons they get with the Aryan brotherhood shave their heads bald get these tattoos and become complete and utter racist pieces of crap white supremacists right some people really just kind of get sucked into it and brainwashed um picture what was that movie higher learning how they like kind of completely uh, manipulated this guy and kind of fed off his own existing trauma and issues and just kind of kept feeding the fire but I digress so Sean was not actually known to be a racist like he although he was like buddies with John from high school John would actually write him letters and in those letters he would talk about like he would he said he would use like prison talk like calling everybody bro and um talking about uh white supremacy he would call him his Aryan brother and say things like um stay white <laughs> wow he would also make it known that he didn't like blacks or jews or asians all that negativity and that bullcrap right so Sean actually said in an interview um, with 60 Minutes, side note, if you're interested in watching this interview, it's called Killing Time. And you can probably just Google 60 Minutes Killing Time and it'll pop up. They were doing an interview with uh, Sean Barry about everything. Um, I think the year after it happened in 1999. So Sean was just like, I didn't like it. My brothers didn't like the way he was talking. Um, he said he never returned any of the letters when he was in prison from him um he just was not sean was not really known to be that guy like he he got along with everybody for the most part um but he would go on to say he just kind of fell in with a bad crowd he's like there's no excuse but i was with people that i shouldn't have been with um unfortunate so it's not like Sean had never gotten in trouble, you know, years prior. Um, I think him and John were arrested for breaking into a warehouse. They had to do boot camp because uh, they probably were teenagers at the time. They had to do boot camp. Sean was fine. He did good on probation, never violated. Of course, John was the one to violate his probation and that led to him in prison. So that's just a little bit of background on these guys it seemed like Sean was just with the wrong people at the wrong time got caught up in things he was thinking we're just gonna go around driving drinking looking for girls and it ended in tragedy so backing myself up uh, like I was saying Russell Brewer was not a resident of Jasper like he just he came home and moved into John's apartment um and that's how they all ended up in Jasper together 
So later on in this case, investigators actually found a copy of a manifesto called the Turner Diaries and other like white supremacist literature and crap in John's apartment. So the evening of June 7th, like I said, they were drinking beer, trying to pick up girls, just driving around, thinking they're having a good old time. And then they come across James. And at first, it was said that uh, Russell Brewer didn't want to pick him up because he was black. And then all of a sudden, he had a change of heart and he was like, okay, sure, we'll pick him up. around like two in the morning, like two-ish, two-thirty-ish in the morning, instead of taking James home, because at this point they had picked him up by now, at least two of them were drunk. Sean Barry was the one that was driving. Keep that in, in mind, put that in your back pocket. Sean Barry was the driver. So instead of taking James home, they drove out of Jasper a little bit and stopped at like a small clearing in the woods. So, they're bullcrapping around. They offer James a drink. Uh, Lawrence Brewer and John King specifically. They just flipped. Uh, they would go on to beat James. They urinated on him. Just humiliating things. They hit him with a baseball bat. Sprayed him in the face with black spray paint. And taunted him with, you know, like racial slurs. I'm sure they called him the N-word. Insults. They then chained his ankles to the back of the truck and dragged him for almost three miles down a dirt road. I want to pause and like think about that. That is to do that to another human being. You must be filled with so much hate for them. So as they were dragging him, his body, of course, was like bouncing up and down. He eventually, like, kind of bounced into a ditch on the right side of the road, hitting the, the edge of a concrete culvert. So I think a, a culvert is just, like, raggedy edge of, of a ditch. I'm not a driver, so don't get me lying. <laughs> but he ended up bouncing into that. It's like a culvert is like a drainage ditch type of thing. The impact was so severe, it severed his right arm, shoulder, neck, and it decapitated him. And they kept dragging him. They kept dragging him. Even after all that, they kept dragging the rest of his body for about another mile. Then they got out, um, you know, unchained him. Then they dumped the rest of his remains in the town's black cemetery which was still segregated, by the way. Um, it was near one of the African-American churches. So they unchain him, they dump what's left, because like I said, his arm is off, his head is off, shoulder. It's like whatever was left of him, they dumped it, and then they went to a barbecue. Yes, they committed this heinous crime, this hateful, killing and they went to a freaking barbecue 
and I'm sure they ate the most unseasoned raisins in the potato salad apples in the macaroni salad no they probably had like green bean casserole or something like that and that's no shade if y'all like green bean casserole i've had a green bean casserole that was actually pretty good but come on <laughs> we're not eating that at the cookout so they go to this barbecue thinking everything's sweet now they don't know how long james was alive during the dragon but when the autopsy was done it showed that he was trying to keep his head up can't imagine how terrified maybe even how angry how confused he was and he's in survival mode so you know if you're being dragged behind anything of course you're trying to keep your head up because you know if your head is getting banged on the ground forget about it you're having serious head trauma you're out of here so he was trying to keep his head up the whole time the investigators say he was probably alive that whole time he was being dragged until his body was all chopped up until um his head was severed so they actually found james body sunday morning so this was a very short span of time because like i said everything happened around like maybe 2 2 30 ish saturday which would be technically sunday morning but saturday super late at night but they found him sunday morning morning also, side note, excuse me, I know y'all know I'm always stuffy. My allergies kill me year-round. <laughs> so if I'm sniffling, I apologize. I'm really trying not to. Thank y'all for bearing with me. Hopefully one day they'll find a cure <laughs> for seasonal allergies because they are killing me every so often. All right, back to the show. So after finding out about James' death, of course in a small town especially in the black community the community and the church took immediate action they're they're rallying they're like what the heck is going on at some point his family didn't even know that he was missing because it like i said it happened so fast he was chilling with his family in the morning he went to this anniversary party in the evening left to go back to his apartment minding his business and boom he's gone so this story made international headlines crazy right a small town this black man is brutally murdered and this makes international headlines which is fantastic it gained a lot of attention jasper was a small town and for the most part like the black and white residents because that's really what it was blacks and whites um they got along pretty chill for the most part um but in the wake of the murder like town officials really had to rally together to make sure that the residents stay calm and to kind of keep their fears at bay because something like this has happened of course as the black community you're like crap is this is this something that's going to continue to happen now i'm afraid am i going to get picked up and basically kidnapped and brutalized you know so sunday morning brewer king and barry the three guys in the car in the truck get arrested for possession of stolen property after the police caught them with a huge supply you'll never guess of frozen meat mm -hmm. frozen meat so they were the police were actually investigating um a restaurant break-in and 
They caught these three idiots with frozen meat from where? Duh, the restaurant. So that's what they get arrested for. They, at this point, don't even have them connected to um, what happened with James, his murder. So the Jasper County Sheriff was actually driving to a golf tournament when he heard on the radio that they had found a body. So he goes to the area and he's like peeping the scene, trying to figure out like what the heck happened. Um, and he sees like um, like drag marks, but he realizes he's like, okay, this isn't from a tire. Like this isn't from the tread of a tire uh, dragging along this trail. This is a, a body. So, you know, he follows it and realizes that James had been dragged for a significant amount of time. So at this point, because of the nature of the crime, the FBI gets involved. So this was now deemed a hate crime and a hate crime is a federal crime. So they also ended up getting a tip from a witness that basically was like, oh yeah, I saw James get in the, in the pickup truck with Sean and like these two other white guys. Uh, they know that Sean Barry drives a pickup truck and you can basically place these guys at the crime scene. So everything starts lining up and they're like, oh yeah. And now we've got a confession. The, they did it. So after the police discovered James's body, they searched the area and they found a wrench with the name Barry on it. And some of like James's belongings, because as you can imagine, whatever he had in his pockets probably were just strewn about the road. So just a few months after that, Brewer King and Barry were all convicted of capital murder. Again, very quickly, this, this crime, this case was open and shut. Like they had the evidence, they had the suspects, they put two and two and four and four together and they solved the crime, of course, with the help of the FBI. And it seems like just some good detective work. Um, so, Russell Brewer, in 2011, 11, September 21st, 2011, was executed by the state of Texas, marking the very first time in Texas history that a white person received a death sentence for killing a black person. I know. Um, so, it's, it's, it's also like, huh, interesting, uh, Ross Bird, James's only son, um, publicly protested the execution because he was like serious about he was anti-death penalty he was an advocate for that so he actually publicly protested his father's killer being executed it's crazy on april 24th 2019 i'm not sure why it took so long but uh john king was also executed by the state of texas and that left sean barry to serve a life sentence for his um his involvement in the crime like i said a billion times he was the driver he's actually up for parole in 2038 so we'll see how that goes
article in the wake of James' death, uh, on the day of his funeral, his church, his family church, overflowed with like 200 people that came to mourn and pay their respects. Out of those 200 people were Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, and the NAACP president, Kwesi Mfume. So um, that was just the people that could fit inside the church. 600 other people were outside to pay their respects. Um, at the time, Dennis Rodman was a big basketball star actually paid for the funeral costs. And <laughs> the infamous, we did an episode about him before, Don King, famous fight promoter, donated $100,000 to support James's family. I do want to say that his death shook up a lot of things and it actually got some legislation started. So on May 11, 2001, the then Texas Governor Rick Perry signed the James Byrd Hate Crimes Act into law and it basically increased the penalties for crimes motivated by things like a person's race, religion, color, sex, sexual preference, disability, all those types of things that you can oppress someone with, right? So, in 2009, when Barack Obama was president, shout out to him, love him, um, with two of James' sisters, so Luvon and Betty, would assist or like, um, yeah, assist President Obama with creating this law. It became the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act that's on the federal level it had something to do with the president they signed it into law on october 28th 2009 um there was a bunch of activism surrounding his murder recognizing the importance of um getting justice prosecuting those violent crimes especially motivated by racism and other biases so Following his death, again, his family established the James Byrd Foundation for Racial Healing. And their foundation conducts diversity workshops. They offer counseling, scholarships to people of color. They actually run an oral history project uh, with more than 2,600 personal stories about racism. There are so many families that have been affected by racially motivated crimes, uh, murders, and uh, they definitely have been having interaction with the Bird Foundation. So not only did legislation change, but the city of Jasper also, um, in 1999, they uh, celebrated, the townspeople celebrated as they tore down the wrought iron fence that separated the graves of black and white people in the Jasper City Cemetery. So James's mother and himself are actually buried there. They've had offense that divided the races since 1836 they tore it down the city also uh, put in a park in his honor the james bird jr memorial park so if you're ever if you ever just happen to stop in jasper texas go to the park pay your respects to james of course if you want to donate to the bird foundation for racial healing you can do so through their website they have like a little donate button on the homepage. Uh, they have contact information um, just more information if you're interested i think it's amazing 
I've said, especially in being in the mental health field, multicultural competency. I don't know how many times <laughs> a week I say that, but it is so important to understand people, shoot, places and things, but people that are different than yourself. It's so important to um, not tolerate, but to accept. I don't want you to tolerate me because that means deep down somewhere you you really don't like me. You don't see it for me. But if you accept me, then you've come to a realization that I am who I am. And when you accept someone, you're saying that that's okay. You are who you are. I am who I am. And that's okay. Uh, and it's like, it's 2023 and we're still judging people by the color of their skin and not the content of their character. It's crazy. It's amazing how speeches given by Malcolm X and Martin Luther King are still so very relevant. And it's unfortunate that while things have changed and progressed significantly, there are still some things that are historically just repeating themselves. And my hope is that one day we won't have to be retelling these types of stories unless of course to bring awareness to keep history from repeating itself or just to remember someone like James Byrne Jr. who whose name might not even ring bells in Jasper, Texas anymore just because things like this aren't talked about all of the time. And I don't want to blame it on this generation because it's not just them. It's just that some of us are so far removed from certain things that we feel like it doesn't affect us. And although this happened in 1998, when some of you listening probably weren't even born or just born, um, or maybe you don't live in a small town, or maybe you don't live in a small southern town, you're not from Jasper, you're not from Texas, but these things still impact us as uh, people of color. Whether you're listening or you're not a person of color, this is important for you to hear. Um, but you have to be aware. And sometimes it's scary. And sometimes it's like, okay, when are we going to stop talking about race? But it's so relevant. And it's so important to understand that you still may hold racial biases, even if you're not quote-unquote racist. You might not even realize you're discriminating against someone or a group of people. Um, just because you have a black friend or because your neighbor's black or because your your girlfriend's Mexican <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't mean you still don't hold racial biases. I'm laughing because these are the ridiculous things that I've heard uh, throughout my life. Um, people's justifications of behaving the way they do or saying the way they do. Microaggressions is a real thing. And I think um because we're able to put names to certain things and identify them, we have become more educated when it comes to just being, you know, multiculturalism. But I encourage each and every one of you, whether you're black or white or uh, Latino or Asian or Pacific Islander, whatever you identify yourself as, to one, know that you are beautiful, know that you are special, know that you and your life are valuable and important and for those of you who 
or non-people of color to educate yourself google is free <laughs> educate yourselves the library there's still free libraries everywhere go to the library if you must google it read an article read a book just increase your awareness and understanding of what's going on because all those and i quote slavery is not a thing anymore racism is it's still very alive and well he's young he's he's <laughs> racism is 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 old as dirt but he's taking some sort of youth serum because he's still he's still kicking it so as much as you can educate yourself as much as you can educate your friends that's what being an ally is educating other people coming to the defense of marginalized and oppressed groups is so important and i just encourage you to take the time to educate yourselves take the time to listen to another person's experience take the time to step outside of yourself and look at people's differences and embrace and accept them and not just tolerate because i promise you if you take the time to listen and, and speak with your neighbor or speak with someone who is a different culture than you you'll learn a lot and you'll realize that you have so much more in common <laughs> than you have different especially if you are an american citizen so I thank you all for listening to today. I'm going to wrap up this episode and step off of my soapbox. <laughs> I hope the audio quality is good. If it's not, let us know. I'm recording this one solo dolo on my phone. Um, and I'm not going to lie, even though it's like 93 degrees outside, I got my heater on because it's cold in here. <laughs> but um, We're going to get this thing together. Thank you so much for continuing to listen please please share um rate our episodes even if you rated one that's fine that's your personal opinion we respect that give us a rating hit that little star like leave us a comment whatever we just want your feedback so that we can get better and we can keep you guys coming week after week so like I said, next week, it'll be a solo episode. It'll be my girl, Latanya. Show her some love. Um, and that's it. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Have a great week.